Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind, and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding, and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. I'm so excited that you've joined us again. I've got a special guest on the show today. It is Michael Ernest, and he is joining us all the way from Nigeria. Um, Michael's come on the show. We had a little bit of interaction on social media, and I was like, you know what? We actually need to have more voices of people of color and black people on the show because I've realized, like, as I look back at our kind of podcast and the voices that we have been sharing, there's very few uh, voices of people of color and black people particularly. So I wanted to open the space up to you and thank you, Michael, for joining us and um, sharing your insights and your knowledge with us today. So maybe if you just want to give a little bit of a background as to who you are and kind of your pathway and journey into yoga. You are a yoga teacher and you're a meditator and you've got this really cool platform. So just give us a little bit of a background into who you are and how you've come to be in this work. Thank you so much for having me. Um, this has been amazing. Uh, like our interactions has been amazing because um, you posted something and I think it was a day or two after uh, George Floyd was killed and um, you posted something you were like rather down and you asked how everyone was feeling and I just came on and I was, was like I'm, I'm upset that you know this is going on and um, even before now or before the incident I had already started talking about um, certain things but my name is Michael <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute my name is Michael I am from Lagos Nigeria or I live in Lagos Nigeria I am Nigerian I consider myself a pan-Africanist so uh, I like traveling. I, have, um, I like traveling, especially within the African continent. I've been to 16 African countries. I have a background in marketing and communications, but I'm also a yoga teacher and a yoga student, uh, same as meditation teacher and meditation student. So my journey into yoga, I stumbled on yoga <laughs> I stumbled on yoga more or less because <clears throat> when I started practicing, there were not a lot of, uh, there were, but I didn't know that there were a lot of, or there were a good number of uh, Nigerian yoga teachers. But I started practicing on my own and I stumbled on it. And then I went on this uh, East African trip circuit where I started out in uh, Nairobi, Kenya, and then we went to Arusha in Tanzania. And um, from Arusha, we went to Dar es Salaam. From Dar es Salaam, we went to Zanzibar. From Zanzibar, we went to Mombasa. So it was like an, an entire circuit. And it was a trip with five other people or six other people. And one of them was a yoga teacher. I had started practicing on my own in my own tiny space <laughs> uh, behind closed doors. Uh, this was about six years ago. So one of them was a yoga teacher and she had been practicing yoga. She was, uh, she, back then she was in her early forties and she had been practicing yoga since she was about 18 or 19. So um, the entire trip, 
every morning and every evening, we would practice yoga. Every other person, they would be by the beach or they would be doing something or they would be sleeping. But we would just practice yoga because I had started, but it wasn't like a kind of like a structured way. It was just me pulling up videos from YouTube and just practicing on my own. Towards the end of the trip, uh, she told me, the teacher told me, you're really good at this and if there is no structure or if there are no teachers in Lagos or there, there are no teachers that you feel represents you in Lagos, then maybe you should start teaching. You should start teaching uh, what you've learned. I'm like, I, I told her, I don't know enough. Like, you know when someone just throws out the teaching thing to you, the fear, everything, imposter syndrome, everything just came raining down. I'm like, I don't have any proper training. I don't know enough. I, no, no. But she did plant that seed. So that's the important thing about planting seeds. When someone tells you something, especially when it's something positive, and you take it with you and you go back, you sit down. Every now and then, it's in your subconscious. Every now and then, it pops up pretty loud. You should do this. She was right. You should do this. So she planted that seed. And when I came back to Nigeria, I decided to sort out other yoga teachers are to look into, uh, there was a studio back then in Lagos, but I had never heard of the studio as at then, um, before, when I started practicing. And I'll tell you why I had never heard of the studio. And I decided, oh, let me give it a try. But I went and it did not, I didn't feel represented. I felt ordered uh, because the studio 100% catered to expats in Nigeria and um, pretty much white people. So uh, when I always felt like I was out of place, Nigeria is like the most black nation on the planet because of our population. We have the most black people. And I would go to the studio and I would still, uh, I would go to a class and to only be just only be me and being the black person there. And so I wanted to start uh, teaching because I wanted more uh, Nigerians, more black people to get into the practice, to understand the practice, because back then there was a lot of stereotypes uh, regarding the practice. Okay, uh, Nigeria is a really, really, really religious nation. So people just felt like there were so many misconceptions about yoga. Uh, people felt like uh, it was demonic. It wasn't uh, in line with either Christianity or Islamic beliefs that is predominant in Nigeria. Uh, they felt like it was demonic. They felt like um, it was, you know, something that only ladies would do. I uh, practice for only ladies. They felt like it was too Western. It wasn't local. So there were all of these many misconceptions about yoga. And because I, I, I have a background in marketing and communications, I actually did sit down. I drew up a strategy and I was like, okay, how do I get Nigerians to buy into this practice? Because that's one of the joy or one of the beautiful things about yoga. Once you get into it and then you see what this practice has done or can do for you, you want to spread the word. You want to bring other people on board. You want more people to get into the practice. So I, I add that um, fire in me to just bring in people, bring in black people. to. And then um, when you look out for something, then you start to see it. I sought out another yoga teacher then. She was posting on Instagram and she was really out there. 
But my own practice was pretty much indoors, no cameras, nothing, nothing on Instagram, just me. And I reached out to her and we decided to do a, a little retreat, a yoga retreat. And we did this yoga retreat and it was amazing. The turnout was amazing. A lot of Nigerians and a lot of black people. And it further strengthened that resolve that this practice, I need to popularize this practice in Nigeria and I need to get people on board to uh, kickstart their yoga journey. So back then I had not done my yoga teacher training. I had not done anything. So I, I, I was still having that inner dialogue with myself. Do you really want to do this? Are you equipped enough and all of that? So we decided that how about we start a practice or we just do something. And as the universe may have it, we found a place and we're like, you know what, let's do it. Let's open a studio and just teach people what we know. And that's what we did for the first two years. We opened the studio. We made yoga cool from the marketing and strategy end. We made Nigerians uh, buy into the practice. Uh, the popularity that yoga is presently um, enjoying in Nigeria was just a, a handful of black people. And I just felt like even back then that the other studio or the other yoga studio did not do much to represent black people. They did not do much to make uh, uh, the practice popular in Nigeria. It was mainly, they were marketing only to experts and the white community in Lagos. Our studio, we opened the studio. Everyone was welcome at the studio. We had teachers, uh, we had both, both white and black teachers. Then when we opened the studio, more people, and there was a period where um, a lot of African-Americans were coming back to Nigeria. Are to you know to are back to live in Nigeria. So we had a few of them that were yoga teachers. So we just brought people together. It was a mini collective with you know other yoga teachers, and we had the goal or the mission to uh, make this practice as popular as possible in Lagos and draw people in. So that's a bit of my background when it comes to. Um, how I started my yoga journey. And just, I love how everything just seems to have a land for you. Like everything's just fallen into place one step after the other. I just yeah. want to circle back. Like yoga has clearly had a profound impact on you and your life. What mm -hmm. are some of the benefits that you have noticed personally for yourself that makes you want to share this practice with such fire? Maybe someone might say mundane example or basic example would be um, it opened up my awareness. Uh, that's the first thing. It opened up my awareness to so many things. I remember being in uh, a taxi one day and just noticing a tree. And I just kept on looking at the tree and noticing the cemetery, the intricacies of this tree. And after that, I was like, wait. I pass this road all the time and I've never really paused to really notice, become aware of my environment or to really notice this tree. So it's, it's opened up my awareness uh, to self, to other people, to the environment. A year later, uh, I became vegan. And it's still a punchline with my friends, like you're vegan in Nigeria. Like... <laughs> 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 so uh yeah see it opened up my awareness beyond the uh 
health benefits of uh, you know or the mental the stress the it's a country like Nigeria and a city like Lagos is super super chaotic there is always something going on that would affect your mental stability yeah. so that practice drew me in and back then I still had a nine to five I still had a nine to five so I was doubling all of this and the nine to five was pretty much driving me crazy so yoga was that balance yoga was that escape at that time I would you know have like this crazy day and I would come back and I would do yoga and I would meditate and all would be well in the world or at least I would feel a bit of calmness a bit of serenity in spite of so beyond the health aspect, it opened me up, it opened my mind up. Um, I was more attentive. I was more receptive. I was more open, open to new ideas, to new opportunities, to, uh, to new views of mm. what things are. It also brought me to that place of self-introspection and self-inquiry. Uh, I asked myself a lot of questions. Why are you feeling this way? What emotion is this? I did this thing where I would go back and I would uh, research adjectives to uh, describe my emotions. So beyond just saying, oh, I'm good, or oh, I'm fine, I would, you know, say something along the lines of, oh, I feel tired, but calm. So I would find ways to describe. So just being able to describe or to understand how I'm feeling at a particular point in time made me more aware of how others might be feeling, made me uh, more, made me listen more, listen beyond the words, just listen beyond what someone is saying, could be from their body language, from how they uh, they are reacting to a particular thing or a particular topic, um, when I should take a step back, when I should push on to say, oh, you know, this is... So I, it opened me up. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you so, know what? I think the, I resonate so much with what you're saying about this piece of yoga making you more aware, making you more open. And I think that's what's coming up now in, in relation to everything that's going on with, with George Floyd and just mm-hmm. so much of this of this Black Lives Matter movement that I think people in the yoga industry, I mean, it's, it's surprising to me, but also not surprising because of the structural racism that we live in, that it's taken so long for people in this industry to be aware and to be open to actually facing the issues of this problem. Mm-hmm. So like maybe just if you want to kind of go into a little bit of that, of, of maybe your experience of how the structural racism has fed into the yoga practice. You said like you, you felt so unrepresented and that's something that I'm reflecting on now in the studios that I practice in. Like it, there's some studios in London that are very white. There's, there's very few people of color, very few black people, but how can we start bringing that, making it more accessible and making more people feel represented in the space? So I always draw back to the story of uh, my experience here in Lagos, in Lagos, Nigeria. You know, as much as I've been to uh, other African countries. So when I speak about the wellness industry, especially on like my Twitter or my Instagram timeline, I narrow down to Lagos, but at least I have um, a very, very good understanding of what the yoga community looks like um, across Africa because I've been to 
East Africa, some countries in East Africa. Actually, almost all the countries in East Africa. Um, I've been to Southern Africa, I've been to the North, I'm from the West. So I've seen how the systemic racism is structured in all of these different places. And of course, outside of Africa, because I've also been outside of Africa, I've also seen, and every time I travel, I try to connect with uh, a yoga community. I try to connect with a, a yoga studio or something. I think uh, from the Nigerian point of view, I have seen it play out in so many ways and so on so many levels, uh, from the lack of representation to even lack of inclusion uh, in terms of uh, now at some point we had like a, a lot of yoga teachers in, in Lagos in Nigeria, people who were interested enough to go for yoga teacher trainings and people uh, we were people that came back that lived overseas that came back that had their training and all of that. So I've I've seen it. And a typical example would be this said studio I'm talking about, every now and then People do call them out to say, oh, I don't feel represented or, oh, this studio is so white. And every now and then they try to, in quotes, listen. And uh, they've tried to bring in yoga teachers in the last two years, but they always end up having issues with the black yoga teachers. The black yoga teachers always end up leaving. And last year, they reached out to me because the, I was supposed to fill in, I teach uh, um, I used to teach Ashtanga, but uh, I decided to move to uh, Vinyasa Power Yoga to focus on Vinyasa Power Yoga after a teacher training that I did on Power Yoga. So I wanted to really uh, own that skill of teaching power and Vinyasa. So I decided to teach that and a teacher was traveling. So the teacher also thought, um, teaches at my studio. So he was like, oh, you should cover for this class at the other studio. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to do it. So I started covering for it, for the class. And then the classes went well. There was this uh, time interval that the person came back, the teacher I was covering for. I covered for another teacher. Teacher came back. Before then, I had heard stories of, oh, every black yoga teacher that goes in, they always have a problem with every black yoga teachers. So there was this disclaimer and this warning. Are you sure you want to do this? You have your own studio. But I wasn't, the way I see it, I felt, I feel like, I still feel that way, that Lagos is, uh, the population is big enough you can always share your practice. It doesn't necessarily have to be in my studio before I can share my practice. I can go to another studio. I don't need to look at everybody as a competition or that competition is necessarily bad. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to teach at this studio. I'm going to go in and also have my own experience without anybody tainting my, the, what I think about this studio. If you're trying to make a change, if you're trying to be more inclusive, then it only makes sense that I am open to that. So I thought at the studio for a while and I started noticing a bunch of things. I started noticing that number one, that um, certain people were more comfortable with uh, white yoga teachers. I also noticed the teacher, the classes with white yoga teachers were always fuller. And I also noticed the disparity in terms of how many black people are in the class or how many white people are in the class. 
<clears throat> and I, since I was still new in the studio and every other teacher was there for a while, people are more or less had their own students or students base. So I didn't want to draw any conclusions. So I stayed almost all throughout the year until November. And at some point, the teacher, the uh, owner of the studio did call me and she did say, oh, that she, had discussed, she has discussed this with every other person that they need at least five people in the class before the class can, um, before they can run the studio, especially in the evenings because they had allotted a time slot for me. So I, that if we, we don't have up to five, that the percentage of uh, the splits that we normally do with the studio and the teacher is usually 50-50 at that studio. So the split would then translate into, if there are two people in a the class, then I'll need to cover for the remaining three. So my own splits, my own money will be taken for the remaining three. And if there are five people in the studio, then that's fine, it's going to be an even split. But if there is one person in the studio, for instance, that means I'll need to cover the money that would include the other four people. And I just thought to myself, you know what, at this point, I have my own studio. There are days that I go to my studio because Lagos, the traffic is crazy to even begin with. And it's a practice that you can't force people to practice. If people, it's still a growing community in Nigeria, unlike places like London or other places around the world, it's still a growing community. So there are days that I go and then nobody shows up and I'm graceful about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, because I do understand the marketing bits that you need to put food on the table, you need to pay the bills, you need to pay the bills to keep the studio open. But um, I also thought that if there are other classes and other classes are being filled up and you're trying to grow a practice, you're trying to make this practice inclusive, then there would be other steps and other ways for you to supplement uh, for classes that are not being filled up. And at the time, there was another black teacher in the studio that was teaching Pilates. And our own sessions and our own classes were also not filled up. So it was almost like the classes with black teachers were not being filled up. And considering that they cater to a majorly white community or white audience, that also speaks to even the people that come in for the practice. So I told them that, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to because uh, where I live and where I'm commuting from to the studio, I need to my bills out that I can't that since the other teacher, one of the teachers, one of the white teachers was going to be away for a month, that I would rather cancel my own classes and cover when it's that time I can cover. Since, you know, we teach the same kind of uh, style mm -hmm. is really similar. And they were like, okay. So my, my, my understanding was that this was across board. This was not only to me or to the other black teacher, this was across board, that that was the studio policy. That's what they made me believe. And on a particular Saturday, I, because they have a WhatsApp group where people indicate, oh, I'm going to come in for the classes, please book me for this class. And um, a particular Saturday, there was no, no message, nothing. And Saturdays are usually the busiest days. So I, I felt a type of way about it because, okay, nobody has signed up for the class. Hmm. So I felt a type of way, and this was a class that I was covering for. I decided because I, we had an understanding that any time that there are not up to five people, that I can't come in because it doesn't make any sense for me to come all the way and then uh, 
you're still taking to make up the five. And I did believe that it was across board. So people did show up, about two or three people showed up and the owner of the studio called and she was shouting, why are you not here? And all of that. At that point, I felt really bad that at least people showed up, but there was no one on the WhatsApp group that decided to show up. So walk-ins, that at least people showed up and I wasn't there. I felt really, really bad because I always like to be there. My studio, whether anybody signs up or not, I'm going to be there. I'm regardless of if there is one or if there are one, three people, two people. So I always show up. So I felt a type of way that um, I wasn't there. So that's, I, I took that blame. And my immediate response was to try and navigate how to address the students, to tell them, oh, I'm, pretty, I'm really sorry, because they don't understand the studio's policy. Mm. They don't know any of those things. So I really felt really bad, and I just started apologizing. That was the first thing. I just started apologizing that I'm really sorry. I called the teacher that I sent a voice note to the teacher that I was covering for, that, oh, this is the situation that um, three people at the studio, and I feel really bad that I'm not there, and I had a conversation with this person. This is why I did not show up. And um, so our response to me, and the entire response to the entire situation. As, at, at that point, I felt like, oh, I deserve that response. But uh, in January of this year, I went back to, because this was November last year, I went back to the WhatsApp message. I, I went back to everything. And I was looking at it. I was like, this response wasn't called for. It's mm. you, one, the owner called and she was shouting. And then two, the person that responded told me life is, going, life is passing me by, that I was wrong, that I made an assumption. And I remember the owner of the studio saying, but this is this person's class, this person's class. People always come. Um, you should have been there. And I was like, but we had an understanding that if they are not up to five people, that we are going to cancel the class because that's the studio policy, because I, I don't want to pay up for the five people that I didn't get. So we had an agreement. So why are you saying this is, this was this person's class? So is this, is it because this person is white? There is an exception here. Um, and then the person I was covering for now turned back to tell me life is passing me by. And I, I just felt a type of way. And I, I, at that point, I, I never responded. I didn't respond. I just said, I'm sorry. And I moved on. Because my primary, the immediate guilt I was facing was that there were students at the studio and I wasn't there. So I wasn't even, I wasn't even looking at the race thing at that point. Mm. But months later, and I also wanted to respond from a place of power, from a place of kindness. Months later, I looked at it and I was like, wow, I need to... I, started doing a lot more introspection. I started looking at the patterns. I started looking at the structure. I started looking at the classes. I looked at the disparity in class in the students' ratio. I looked at, um, I went back to when I started the practice, when I opened up my own studio, when I started my yoga journey, the feelings that I felt back then, why I was in the practice or why I was, why I am a teacher in Lagos to even begin with. Like I looked at, I did a lot of, digging and mm -hmm. I just look from there it took me outside of Lagos outside of Nigeria to other studios around Africa 
and I just looked at, okay, there is no representation here. It's the same thing over here. It's the same thing over here. If you are doing, if you're practicing yoga or if there is a yoga studio on, on, on the African continent, it is your duty to ensure that the wellness, because wellness is human rights. Wellness covers or you make, um, you make it available to the locals around there, to the community, not just to uh, white people that are visiting or experts uh, that are living there or white people from the country. It should be across board. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a practice that unites. Mm. So even, uh, even if you want to do it as your CSR, where you try to make sure that you grow the practice within that community. So I just noticed that this was absent in so many places. You would go to the studio and there are no black students and there are no black teachers. And it just felt like, okay, let's carry on with everything is fine. This is, that's when I started writing and started posting some of these things, started asking some of these questions that I, I did on Instagram. That's when I started asking, why are we not inclusive? Why is this practice? And I also looked at it from a global point of view, from the big brands that we know. Uh, we all know and love the big brands that we've engaged with. I looked at it from all of that. I went to their pages. I would go through their pages. I would do like three full swipes and then I would not see a black person. And I did a little quick survey where I asked a bunch of people, when I say the word yoga, what comes to your mind? And then they would tell me. And then when I say the word yoga, who comes to your mind? And they would describe a white lady, a white fit lady. So I did this with at least 20 people at the very least, but there were more people. I did this and it was always the same response. And I was like, how did we get here where this is what's in people's embedded in people's minds or this is what is in place? Going through like some of these popular Instagram pages with tons of followers, you're just going to go through and then you would not see a black person. And if you see a black person, it would be one in 50 posts. Mm. And it was almost, it's almost like, oh, there are no black teachers or black teachers are not good enough or uh, they don't speak well enough or, um, or they're not flexible enough. I don't know what it is, but mm. it, it's almost like there is something off with, uh, with uh, teachers that are black. Uh, well, you've got it. I just want to say you've got you've got a really great question on your Instagram feed, and I'll link this in the show notes. But this is a really—it's kind of what you've been talking about—is that the self-inquiry for white practitioners of yoga, um, and this is directly from um, Michael's uh, Instagram page. Why are you not attending classes led by black yoga teachers? Are they not good enough for you, or? does the ability to teach yoga come pre-installed with a certain skin color? And I think that if you can take some time to kind of really settle into that with that awareness, with that openness, like there's a lot of value that we can get from really uncovering this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then another, like a question with that, which also speaks to that piece of representation is how many black yoga teachers do you have in your studio or how many black students are coming to practice with you in your classes? So 
definitely take some time to to reflect and journal on those if you're listening and this is this conversation is speaking to you. And I wanted to ask you from the marketing and there's, there's, I still have so much to learn on this whole racist society and this, and the structure that we're living in. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have learned is that it's not up to black people to educate us. So I'm trying to be mindful of that, but I also want to ask your expertise and your knowledge here from a marketing perspective and a marketing background as somebody who runs yoga classes or has yoga studios, what are some practical things that we could do to help encourage that inclusive inclusivity is it the language is it the the images that we use like are there some practical things that we can that we can do to help create this safe space for people or do you think it's more institutionalized than that i think regardless of how uh how the things embedded in our society i feel like it's our duty as uh, wellness practitioners as yoga teachers knowing what this practice represents knowing what this practice means for us to, in our own small corner or in our own small space in the world, to try and make an effort to change that, to try and devote time to change that. Some practical things that we can look at would be just bringing in more black yoga teachers because they are black yoga teachers if you sort them out they are there bringing in more black yoga teachers and respecting that they are different from you or they are culturally different in terms of how they look in terms of what they think how they think what how they speak that they are different from you um just bringing in because if you see a teacher that looks like you then you would be a lot more comfortable that this practice is inclusive. If you're only seeing only a group of people, then you would feel like, okay, this is not for me. I'm talking from the student's point of view. This mm-hmm. is not for me. Uh, okay, well, it's not my thing. It's, it's, it's for white people. Because remember I told you that one of the misconceptions was that the practice yoga is for white people, that it's too white, that no, it's not for us. But when, if there are more black teachers in the studio, then more people will feel inclined to change that perception, to, 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 to be more welcoming. And another practical thing to do, I, from a marketing point of view, would be, um, I get that you need to keep your doors open. I get that the people that are really coming to your studio at this point are white people. I do understand that because of how the structure has been set in place. But from a marketing point of view, you could also try and have like tailored events, Mm -hmm. tailored events for, you know, for the black community to, in Africa, since the practice is still somewhat growing in Africa, how do you make this practice popular? How do you bring in more locals into this practice? The best way is to have community events or to have community sessions where they come in. Because sometimes all it takes for someone to be sold into the practice is just a class. Mm. A lot of times, once someone comes in and they practice once, with an open mind, then they, it draws them in. That's the beauty of the practice. Mm-hmm. So if they never get to practice, 
uh, it could be a lot of reasons. It could be one that they don't see anybody that represents them. So they feel like, okay, it's only for this group of people or two, this is from an African point of view. Two, it could be the, something like the cost. What's the minimum wage in a place like Nigeria? <clears throat> What's the average uh, monthly salary for someone in Nigeria? And if the costs of your classes are all the way up there, that only people that earn in, in only experts that earn in dollars not in the Nigerian Naira can afford, then it automatically, you know, secludes the black people or the black mm. community. Of course, there are super rich Nigerians that can afford all, they can afford the classes. They, they, they are. Yeah. Yeah, they are. But we are, we are not talking about elites here. We are not talking yeah. about the people that are super wealthy. We are talking about being inclusive to people that cannot even afford it. So if you open your doors, if you have like all of these sessions and all of these events and sessions or classes that they can afford, mm. they can afford just thinking about it. Because if you really sit down to map out a plan, it is possible for you to do something that the masses, the average person can afford. So if the cost of the class is too expensive, that automatically creates a divide, mm. there is classism there. So just ensuring that, you know, the cost is uh, good enough without you uh, shooting yourself in the foot or without you losing out on money that could keep the studio open, trying to find that balance, trying to create that balance where the average person can afford it. And even if they don't afford it, because one of the things that we did when we opened uh, the, the studio, the, I had a first studio for two years with uh, my uh, partner then, with my uh, partner then, and we, what we did, we started this thing because we still needed to pay bills. We still needed to keep the studio open. And we couldn't at that time, even though our classes was less than $10, we couldn't at that time cut down on the cost or make it lesser because we needed to keep the door open. What we did was every month, once a month, we'll have this community class where people would come and then they would do classes for free. We mm. would, after, at the end of the class, we called it gather. At the end of the class, we would just set up tables. People would sit on mats and then we would serve tea, biscuits and stuff like that. And sometimes people would bring food and so it was like a potluck event once a month. So every month we'll decide on a topic that we want to talk about. And most of the time the topic evolved around, you know, wellness, demystifying yoga and things like that. And we would have like an amazing turnout. People that cannot afford everyday classes would show up and they would practice and they would anticipate the next month's own. So when it's first of the month, they're already sending questions. When sending us text messages, when is, when is gathered this month? When are we doing this month? What's the theme this month? So just creating something like that. There is always a way around these things to mm -hmm. ensure that you, you cater to your present uh, uh, client base but at the same time, trying to open the practice up to different people from all walks of life, from, from different social, economic class. So just trying to devise a means to bring in people, to make it more inclusive. And on a global scale, it could look something like 
amplifying the voices of black teachers. And also, you know, because they are really, really good, brilliant teachers out there. Mm -hmm. A lot of times uh, their voices are not amplified. Their voices are not heard. So amplifying the voices of black teachers, representing them, if somebody is good, it shouldn't be about their skin color. It shouldn't be about, um, it should be more about what they bring to the table. When you amplify their voices, more people get to, more people from all walks of life and from all race get to know about them. They get to experience them. And this opens new doors into the inclusivity bit of it, into the representative bit of it. So just including black teachers, uh, representing them on your on various platforms, your platforms, wherever you are, uh, representing them, um, creating <clears throat> ways where you can bring in the students, bring in the especially in a place like Africa where it's still a growing community, doing your part in growing that community. Because I don't know what the history of our, the our yoga community is in a place like New York or in a place like London, but I do believe that uh, people did a lot of groundwork to, make the, to popularize the practice. Mm. People did a lot of groundwork. So just doing that groundwork to popularize it within black communities would mm. go mm. And I know we have a lot of listeners from South Africa, so I think this will resonate with a lot of people there as well. Just, and I think the onus, the responsibility is on the studio owner to reach out to those communities because I think up until this point, it's been very safe and comfortable just to stay within the boundaries that feel mm. that are our circles, I would say, this white circle that we keep in yoga kind of very exclusive to other people. And I think that's where the work starts to come in for, for us as teachers, as white teachers. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I just want to quickly, before we wrap up, I want you to share a little bit about Meditate Africa and your intention behind that, um, that Instagram feed and your purpose of really elevating and amplifying um, black voices, people of color from around Africa to really help give a representation of yoga in Africa. When it comes to Africa, in the last couple of years, there's been, uh, there's been this growth. Uh, there are people like Paige from Africa Yoga Project. I don't know if you know, about, if you know of Paige. I haven't, but I will look her up once you give me her info. So she, she lives in Kenya, and you know she had this moment where she came to uh, Africa, she came to Kenya, and then she saw, um, she fell in love with Kenya and she started this thing called Africa Yoga Project. And what she does is she empowers uh, Africans. She empowers black people. She found a way, like this is so brilliant. Back, it, it's, a, it's a really, really long-standing uh, organization, Africa Yoga Project. Even before all of these conversations, even before I had this, my wow moments of saying, of sitting back and taking like, uh, uh, looking at the wellness community, she already used her privilege and she started this thing where she would empower yoga, um, train people, take people from, um, take um, black people from the various community and then she would bring them together. She would train them to become yoga teachers and then they would go out and then impact their knowledge ah. into, back into their communities. 
So if she gives you that tool, she doesn't just give you the fish, she teaches you how to fish. Mm. And then they go back and then they impact on the community. So I feel like she's done a lot of work when it comes to Africa and yoga. So they were so many, they are right now so many uh, teachers in yoga teachers in Africa, thanks to people like Paige from Africa Yoga Project, and thanks to all the different uh, individuals that are putting in work in their small corners of the world. But there was still that thing lacking when it comes to meditation. So meditation ended up being like the stepsister to yoga. <laughs> the less than. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So meditation ended up being that. That's how I, I saw it. Uh, yoga became popular in Lagos or in Nigeria, more popular doing yoga, but not a lot of conversation is being had about meditation. It's almost like, okay, we will throw in two minutes of meditation before yoga. You <laughs> <laughs> before that's it so uh, I just kept on thinking I remember last year I was in Kenya and we had this silent silent uh, uh, mini retreats where we at the end of our uh, the practice we all walked very early in the morning to this big tree and then that's where we broke our silence and that's where that seed was planted in my head like and we had a bit of meditation session during the walk. So it was like a silent meditation kind of thing during the walk. And uh, right in front of the tree, we also meditated. And I just kept on thinking, you know what? Meditation is like the stepsister. So we, I need to, or I need to do my part to make sure that more people are open to meditation the same way that they are open to yoga. Because there's still that stereotype that, okay, meditation is, you know, this zaza uh, kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to do that. And that meditation is also for white people. So I wanted to create a space or a platform and in that year, between that time and when I started Meditate Africa, I meditated so much. Like, I just went neck deep into the practice. I did a lot of studying. I, I joined so many sessions, so many trainings. And I just thought, like, okay, you know what, Michael? It's time for you to bring this practice to make, to ensure or to do your part to make meditation accessible to people, to make people see that, you know what, black people meditate too. That's where the seed was planted during that trip in Amboseli, Kenya. And uh, when I came back this year, I decided to start the Meditate Africa platform. The platform pretty much is space where uh, people of African descent, regardless of where they are in the world, whether they're in London, whether they're in New York, whether they're in Africa, Nigeria, uh, Ghana, Kenya, wherever they are in the world, would um, it's a space for meditators. So it's not a thing, it's not a Michael thing. It's a, more or less like a collective where these teachers would come and then they would hold meditation sessions and people will tune in and just making sure that people get to see black people meditating uh, and especially uh, people of African descent meditating and trying to pull the average African, trying to pull the average black person to open up it to, to this practice. So if you're open to yoga, if yoga is becoming more popular, then we shouldn't ignore meditation because it's, it's all connected. So that's mm -hmm. why I started uh, Meditate Africa. 
so far we've had like two series of uh, just bringing in, I've had people from all over the world, like people of African descent from all over the world. Uh, they've come on the platform to lead meditation sessions and we'll do more of it. So that's the goal. Amazing. I'll definitely link to all of these resources and places in the show notes that you guys can go and find them. Before we end off, is there anything else that you want to share or let people know about or just any final thoughts or anything that you feel that, oh, I wish I'd said that or something that's on your heart? I think first and foremost, I just need to thank you for bringing me on this platform, uh, for, you know, doing your part in amplifying uh, Black voices, also for the work you do. I've followed you for, for quite some time and I, I will, I'm always so inspired by your creativity, for what you bring to the table, for, for everything that you represent. It's pretty amazing and I couldn't say thank you enough because uh, you have influenced my life. You have impacted on my own creative end. Um, you have inspired me in so many ways that and I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of followers and I'm sure that a lot of people can relate to this. They might not outrightly DM you or send you a message to say, oh, you're so inspiring, you're helping me navigate this part of my life. But I just wanted to tell you that you are inspiring and that you are really doing the work to help people navigate different parts of your life. And I just wanted to say thank you. So that's the Thank first. you. <laughs> thank you so much. And you know what? There's two parts to this in me. There's there's one part of me that actually feels a bit ashamed that you're saying this to me because I feel I haven't done enough work up to this point to be able to elevate black voices. And for that, I'm actually really sorry. Mm. Um, but it's like having these kinds of conversations with you and I've only really recently connected with you and I have really, I've really been inspired by your conversation today and you have given me, you know, twice in this conversation, you've spoken about this, um, analogy of seeds being planted. And I really feel like that's something that you've given me today is the seeds that you've planted within me. Like how can I go and reach out to communities that I can create more inclusivity, that I can do a little bit more to, to really bring this practice into a place of union because that's what it is for me. So, so thank you for sharing and yeah, I really appreciate you and for your time coming on the show today. Thank you, Cher. Cool. So thank you everybody for listening to this episode um i hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as i have um i will leave links and everything to michael's pages and to all his work and you can go and follow him online and check out what he's doing so thank you again for coming and i'm so thankful thank you thank you for having me and thank you everyone for listening thank you everyone for you know for what you do uh just keep doing good and being kind and creating that change in your little way in your corner of the world nothing is too small regardless just do the best that you can to ensure that be kind to all kind that's what i always say whether it's animals whether it's people be kind to all kind and do a bit of work to ensure that that kindness cascades into um, various aspects of your space and your life mm, thank you kindness into action yeah thank you yeah yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Color. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. 
Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Daya Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.